You've probably heard me talk about my dog, Jackson. He's my baby boy. And as he's gotten older, he's gotten really finicky about eating. He used to get so excited about food, he'd literally spin. Well, not anymore. In fact, I often have to spoon feed him to get him to eat. Well, no more. Not since we started feeding him fresh food made with whole ingredients, backed by veterinary science. It's Nom Nom. Now, I actually tried making food for him myself. I'd cook up big batches of chicken or beef with vegetables and rice or potatoes. But without knowing what I was doing, he wasn't getting the vitamins and minerals he needed and certainly not in the correct balance. That's all changed now with Nom Nom. Go to trynom.com, T-R-Y-N-O-M.com slash Nicole. They'll ask you some questions about your pup and tailor a specific amount of individually packaged Nom Nom meals and send them to you. By using my special URL, trynom.com slash Nicole, you'll get 50% off of your first order, plus free shipping, and it's a great way to help support this show too. Again, that's trynom.com slash Nicole. plus Nom Nom comes with a money-back guarantee. If your dog's tail isn't wagging within 30 days, Nom Nom will refund your first order. No fillers, no nonsense, just Nom Nom. The following program contains graphic material, including offensive language. Viewer discretion is advised. Wait a minute. Do you still think politics is boring? Well, not when you can say fun words like cacus. Yes, it's fun words like cacus and more. With the intellectual, intersexual, and intersectional, Nicole Sandler on NicoleSandler.com. Tomorrow. If we don't raise the debt ceiling, our economy is gonna burst. But the GOP whines they won't pay for what's already been spent. They only care about the deficit when a Democrat is president. Just another GOP debt crisis. What's not very nice is they want us to make the sacrifices with higher interest rates and prices. Just another GOP debt crisis. We raised it three times under Trump, which they hoped we'd forget. Trump's tax breaks for the rich make up 25% of our debt. It's just paying the bills for spending we've already had. It's a political stunt because they're trying to make Biden look bad. Just another GOP debt crisis. We shouldn't make with their hypocrisy and their vices Our economy jeopardizes Just another GOP debt crisis Of all of the call, why are these hypocrites Picking this fight once more? Doesn't it matter that they'll hurt the market Or make unemployment soar? So Democrats are raising their fists, saying we won't negotiate with terrorists. Yeah, right. 
tight to put a halt to any question who's at fault. Just another GOP debt crisis. A total GOP caused debt crisis. Hashtag GOP's fault debt crisis. Wait, don't stop the video. Just oh, okay. Thing I okay. promise I'll be okay, fast. Okay. If you enjoy these weekly videos, I hope you'll consider supporting them. So I'm going to follow. You can do that for as little as $2 a month, <laughs> and you get fun rewards. Check out my Patreon ah. link and other support options in the description below. Oh. And I promise I'll keep helping you laugh at these that might otherwise make you cry. Thanks. Okay. Thanks, Lauren Mayer. Just another GOP debt crisis. And that's what's happening today. So I understand that we are like the only live show on the... Uh, uh, on the air today. Um, but it must be nice. <laughs> Never mind. Um, so yeah, so the House is doing their thing. They're voting. Actually, they're in recess now, and I don't quite understand why. Because they held a couple of um, procedural votes. They finished debate on the debt ceiling bill, uh, the, the deal that Kevin McCarthy cut with Joe Biden. Um, and they did the debate. And they finished and they did, they passed the vote to, you know, on the rules. And then they passed another um, amendment, I guess. And and then they stood in recess. So I don't know what the holdup is right now, but I'll keep monitoring it over the course of the hour and uh, help you along. But today is a show, yes, all about the debt ceiling, something that we first learned about, oh, a dozen years or so ago. So 12 years ago, it was 2011, right? And our guest today is David Dayen, who is one of the best news people out there. These days, he is the executive editor of the American Prospect magazine, uh, which you should be reading. And and especially because I like how they do business. It's They're at prospect.org and they're not behind a paywall. Same as this show, not behind a paywall, though they, like we, survive uh, based on your generosity. So they do rely on reader support, uh, just as we're listener supported. So, um, but but they will not stop you from reading. Uh, they don't put up a paywall. So um, they give you great information. And if you can't afford to support them, you can still read their coverage. Uh, that's how we work here, too. Um, so I haven't had David Dayan on the show much lately just because he's so busy and I feel bad bothering him all the time, right? But for the debt ceiling, I thought, you know what, let's get him back on, especially since they've been having this um, X date newsletter that they launched just a few weeks ago. And in fact, David's colleague, over at the prospect, uh, Ryan Cooper came on the air with me the day that they launched that newsletter. Uh, it's also free, but it's all all the all the editions are on the website at prospect.org. Uh, so you can read along and catch up. Anyway, I reached out to David uh, last week and I said, with all the debt ceiling stuff, um, do you have any time in the next couple of weeks to come on? He's like, why don't we do it Wednesday, which is the day before X date, because you'll remember, originally, uh, we were told June 1st was the deadline. Then Janet Yellen said, well, we have a little bit more wiggle room and we can extend it to June 5th as like the drop dead deadline. So I had David Dayan scheduled for today. Now, we actually taped the interview this morning. 
So, um, and and what we figured was going to happen throughout the day is exactly what's happened. So they they voted well, but they're still they're still um, they're in a break right now. They're in recess, subject to the call of the chair. I don't know what they're waiting for, but again, we'll get back to that. But so what I'm going to do. Because I this is sort of like a deja vu. And I did play at the beginning of the interview, I played a clip for for uh, David Dayan from that interview we did um, uh, when when we dealt with the we were dealing with the debt ceiling. It was actually the first time that the Republicans weaponized the debt ceiling. And sadly, Obama played right into their hands. Look, I know he was, you know, a. We have fond memories because he was a, you know, he was a smart guy in the White House. Somebody weren't embarrassed. He was the president. And but he he had a few mistakes. Anyway, we'll get into all that. I promise. Um, but I thought what we would do is jump into the Wayback Machine for just three minutes. And I'll share with you the end of that interview with David Day, and it was July 28th, 2011. One of the most depressing things about this is the Democrats have just gone along with this right-wing plan to, to really tank the economy when they should have just stood their ground, when the president should have from, from the get-go said, sorry, the, the debt ceiling is not something you negotiate right. on. This is something that is just saying we're going to make good on the debt we've already incurred. But instead, he let right. them frame the debate and went along with it. Now, you do have yesterday a whole bunch of Democrats saying, you know what, we need either a, a clean debt ceiling bill enough of this uh, nonsense negotiation or the president needs to invoke the 14th amendment and and say the debt ceiling is unconstitutional i mean i spoke with um bob cutner the other day and he's saying it a lot of uh, lead economists are saying it what is wrong with this president why won't he just do the right thing here why is he going along with the republicans or or is that how he really feels yeah, I mean, I think it's clear he's not going to impose the 14th he's Amendment. He's not going to impose the 14th Amendment. Before people recognize that. We, we have elegant solutions to this problem, but we don't have the political actors willing to execute. <laughs> there you go. So, you know, it, it's just, that's not going to happen. This president made, I think, several mistakes along this path to where we're going to head here. The first being not including the debt limit in the one bit of leverage that this president has had, which is the Bush tax cuts at the end of 2010. Yep. There was an opportunity there when there was something Republicans wanted, which is the extension of those tax cuts. Yep. And they were willing to give up quite a lot, and you could have got the debt limit raised at that time. That at least would have pushed out these hostage-taking situations to the end of September, Obviously, you know, the 2012 budget is going to be decided by this Congress and always was. But you could have gotten rid of and wrapped up all of the other things into that tax cut solution. So that was the first problem. The second problem was moving off of the idea that this had to be a clean debt limit increase and using the leverage of it to try to get this grand bargain done. And the president willingly stepped into that. He willingly attached this aspiration of a giant deal to a routine vote that has major consequences if you don't actually get it done. Right. So, you know, he knew he who he was dealing with, and he 
allowed this uncertainty to take place because of this almost monomaniacal pursuit of this grand bargain deal. The grand and, bargain, uh, remember this that. This was the wrong vote to take hostage. It was just the wrong thing to do, and he went along with it. He did. Yeah. Uh, I don't, you know, I mean, obviously this Republican Party is crazy, and, and, and who knows that if, you, if you're just resolute and, and say, give me a clean bill, uh, who knows how that would have played out? Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, maybe it makes Republicans angry. I mean, I, I, it's hard to get, see minds changing on that side. But at the same time, using this process to your own ends, using it for your own leverage, uh, seemed like just the complete wrong thing to do. And now that it's backfired, uh, there, there's, you know, they have a lot to answer for. You know, so that's audio from July 28th, 2011, a dozen years ago. Uh, the first time the Republicans weaponized the death ceiling. It's something that's been there. But who would have ever thought that uh, one of our political parties would use it against the other in order to, um, well, you know, threaten the good faith and credit of the United States of America to get more tax cuts for the wealthy. But that's what they did. And back then, the phrase grand bargain made our blood curl, you know, made toes curl, whatever the saying is, made us not feel good. And here we are again today. It's just incredible. Um, and what the Republicans are doing, and, and you'll hear it in the interview with David Dayan in a few minutes, every single thing that they put in there is on the backs of the people who can least afford it. The poor people in this country, the people who are hurting, who need help, are the ones who get hit in this deal. Now, I got to say, Biden negotiated as good a deal as possible. But the key phrase is he negotiated. He said he wasn't going to. And, well, here we are again. One last thing before we get, well, I, I got a few things. Um, yesterday, the Republicans held a press conference to talk about how awful this deal was. So you had people like, oh, Lauren Boebert, brain surgeon. There is nothing real in this bill to enforce. In short, tomorrow's bill is a bunch of fake news right? and fake talking points. Wait, a bill is not fake news, you idiot. A bill is a bill. News is news. There's nothing, there's no intersecting there, Lauren Boebert. The bill is not a fake, is not fake news. They just take these phrases out of thin air or out of the orange guy's universe and throw it out there like it means something. It doesn't mean anything, idiot. Then you got Chip Roy. Now, I'm still coming down off the Succession series finale, and I wonder if Chip Roy might have been the fifth. Well, I guess he's older than most of them. You know, Kendall, uh, Roman, Colin, Shiv, and Chip Roy. He's about as smart as the rest of them. We worked in good faith. Everybody's sitting around, working around the table to accomplish the objectives the American people sent here to do. What? Unfortunately... Last week, there was a breach. What? There was a breach in the structure that we agreed to put in place. <laughs> really? To make sure that we are representing the American people no. through this heretofore 
United Republican Conference. Wait a minute. Not representing the American people, representing Republican lemmings who don't know how to think for themselves and don't value a good education. But, oh, I digress. Keep going, Mr. Roy. The Republican conference right now has been torn asunder. And we are working hard to try to put it back together again this weekend by making sure that this bill gets stopped. What? I want to be very clear. Not one Republican should vote for this deal. What, really? Not one. Not one? If you're out there watching this, huh. every one of my colleagues, really? be very clear. Not one Republican should vote for this deal. <laughs> it is a bad deal. Yeah, because you didn't get what you wanted. Oh, sorry, Chip. That's how the chips fall, you know? Then there's Andy Biggs. What a tool this guy is. When Republican leaders put out their talking points. You said that the Democrats got nothing in this deal. They did. Well, no, they, uh, Democrats the actually is, got more the than the Republicans got. Yeah. As progressive Democrat Pramila Jayapal stated, Pramo it doesn't Jai- cut spending what? and doesn't reduce the deficit. Who, what? So what did Republicans get? I can't answer that. McCarthy Biden proposal doesn't stop or even slow down deficit p- spending. It doesn't reduce the angle of trajectory of our out-of-growth control. What? Assuming our out-of-control growth of our nation's oh, debt. Oh, okay, McCarthy sorry, he corrected Biden himself. proposal doesn't okay. bend the spending curve down. Does, okay. Instead, they Ooh. put some curtains on a dilapidated budget house the, and hoped that that would... They put some curtains on a dilapidated budget house. Okay, interesting. They'll dress it up enough so enough Republicans will vote for it so they don't feel too doggone bad when 150 Democrats vote for it. Uh, okay. McCarthy Biden plan keeps us moving over the national debt cliff with the Republican leadership's mantra of we'll fight it next year. Uh, he, you know, he's he's reading this very um, painstakingly crafted statement that I guess he wrote. And in a moment, he's going to show you that he um, has a great grasp of the English language or not. I thought the last plan wasn't good enough. I had no idea. I had no idea that we would see a plan as ephemeral what? and as malodorous, malodorous? as this plan. Ephemeral? I'm going to vote no. Okay, you I do that. Like- yeah, shut up. Ephemeral and malodorous. <laughs> I just had to get that in there. All right. In case you were wondering, uh, you, still need a, you still need a little bit of an explainer about how the debt ceiling works. Or why it is or how it, you know, all that stuff. Well, who comes to the rescue to explain? Katie Porter. Katie, please explain to the people who, after all these years, still don't understand the thing about the debt ceiling. So let's say my credit card company has given me a card that allows me to buy everything I could ever possibly want. Right. But because I'm fiscally responsible... I'm going to create a debt ceiling for myself. Yeah. It's modeled on Congress. Okay. I am getting my debt. I'm going to set my personal debt ceiling at $1,000. I don't want more than $1,000 of debt. I want to be fiscally responsible. Okay. Got it. No matter how much my credit card company is willing to loan me because of my stellar credit card history. So I go to the store and I have a lot I need to buy for my family. I fill my cart to the top. I get to the front of the store and I ring up. $500. I look at the bill. I Uh reach for my card. I worry because I know I've already spent probably $1,000 in the last few weeks because of an ER visit, braces for my daughter. 
Dr. Edelberg, will my credit card company respect my personal $1,000 <laughs> debt ceiling, or will this transaction go through? <laughs> the transaction will go through. Yes, it will. <sighs> I hate to disrespect my debt ceiling, but my kids have to eat. They need their school supplies. Mm-hmm. Their feet keep growing. Uh, so I swipe feet? the credit card. The charge goes through. Now, fast forward. My credit card bill arrives. It's more than my $1,000 debt ceiling. Uh Uh-oh. I call up my credit card company, and I tell them, I've exceeded my debt ceiling. I'm not going to pay back the $500 above my debt ceiling. Uh Uh-oh. Even though I've already spent it, even though my kids have already eaten the food, worn the clothes. That's very Republican of you. Will my credit card company accept this, my personal (laughs) debt ceiling, as an excuse for why I'm not paying my bills? They will consider you in default. Uh Uh-oh. So my lender expects to be repaid, no matter what I set as my debt ceiling. If I decide to stick with my debt ceiling and I do default, you said they'll consider me in default, what's going to happen to me? They'll lower your credit limit, they'll raise your interest rate, they might even cancel the card. Ooh. So I really have no choice here as a consumer, as a mom, to suspend my $1,000 debt ceiling and pay off the debt that I've taken. No, none whatsoever. Buy the ticket, take the ride. I did the spending, I've got to pay it back. Yeah, that's how it works. That's how it works. Boy, Katie uh, Katie Porter can just sometimes put it in plain English for you. That's how it works. You know, I don't I don't buy the Republican framing in there. I don't think she would not pay her bills. But, you know, yeah. Anyway, so there's the explanation of what's going on. In just a moment, we'll hear from David Dayan, who will further pull it together for you and tell you where we are now. Just a quick check. The House is still in recess. They have not voted on the final bill yet. And I don't know what the holdup is, but we'll see. Yes. Okay. so uh, we'll get we'll get to David Dayan in a moment. Let me just take a moment to tell you that it's not too late to get your blend jet too. It is now unofficially summer. You know, Memorial Day's over. It's hot outside in many places. And the best thing to quench your thirst on one of those hot days is a smoothie. But you don't need to pay the big bucks to any of those smoothie places. You can make your own and then you can control what you put in it. And all you need is the right blender. Blend jet to the rescue. The Blend Jet 2 is portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or a margarita at the beach. See how that works? It's small enough, it fits in the cup holder in the car, but it's powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit and whatever else you want to throw in there. It's also, the Blend Jet 2 is also quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without disturbing the whole house. Um, Each charge it, you plug it in using a USB-C plug, standard thing. Each each charge lasts for about 15 or more blends. It recharges quickly. And it cleans itself, too. When you're done, you just put some water in the BlendJet, too. I mean, you can unscrew it and you can, you know, wash it, but you don't have to go through all that. Put in a drop or two of dishwashing liquid and run the blender and it cleans. It's it's a great thing. There's over 30 styles and colors and patterns to choose from. And so there's a BlendJet 2 to complement just about any style. And right now, if you go to BlendJet.com and use the promo code FEEDME12, you get a 12% discount on your whole order and free two-day shipping. So 
What are you waiting for? Blendjet.com. Use the promo code FEEDME12. Get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Um, okay, so with no further ado, let's hear from David Dayen, shall we? Uh, again, he is the um, executive editor of the, uh, of the American Prospect magazine, and you uh, find them online at prospect.org. Here we go. Uh-oh. Uh, I guess here we don't go. Um, give me one moment. Um, hmm. Because I got to play it for the, the, the... Okay. I know YouTube is hearing it, but I don't believe the, um, uh, the, the uh, radio listeners are hearing it. So hold on. I got I to get the audio up for you. I will. I promise you. Promise you, promise you, promise you. Uh, just bear with me for one second, and I will get it going for you. Um, hmm. I think I have to play it through here. Their eligibility age, and they will say, even Barack Obama yep. agreed yep. that this was the right thing to do. Uh, this, this is playing is audio from that 2011 it's, it's interview. going to haunt the Democratic Party for, you know, years, if not a decade, a or, decade more, or more, uh, to have this, uh, this bargaining happen, uh, whether it gets put in place or not. And, you know, we can see this hit, hit right away in December uh, with the recommendations uh, that are put forward by this super Congress. So, you know, I mean, this, this could be, there could be an immediate fallout from uh, this, this bargaining, which is just very toxic. The bargaining uh, that you said it could repeat a decade, and now it's more than a decade, and we are again negotiating with the Republicans over raising the debt ceiling, which basically means <clears throat> that we will pay the debts we've already agreed to incur. Uh, it's a broken record. We Have we learned nothing? Apparently so. Uh, I mean, the one thing we learned that uh, is interesting from uh, what you played is that we didn't talk about Social Security and Medicare this time. And the reason why is that Joe Biden, during the State of the Union address, did this very public negotiating session with uh, the House Freedom Caucus, where they all mutually agreed to take Social Security and Medicare off the table. That was maybe the greatest achievement of this entire process. And it came on Ron Klain's last day in office. So as soon as he left, uh, we went back into the old habits of the Democratic Party, uh, kind of uh, placating the Republican hostage taking efforts by entering into negotiations. That's what Barack Obama did in 2011, more enthusiastically than Biden, because he thought he could get a grand bargain on deficits. So he 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 opened this Pandora's box up uh, willingly at that time. And because Biden was unwilling to close it by taking unilateral action, whether to invoke the 14th Amendment, to continue to pay debts, uh, whether to use a trillion dollar coin or, or whether to do any of the numerous executive authorities that he had, uh, he, he in, entered into negotiations. And as soon as he did that, it was going to be a bad outcome. It wasn't as bad as what. Obama ended up with in 2011, 
but it uh, certainly wasn't a good outcome. No, it, definitely not. And the thing is, um, Biden started this by saying we're not going to negotiate. But he he always was going to, wasn't he? Was that just posturing? Well, I think that the White House uh, had the notion that Kevin McCarthy would not be able to bring his caucus along. So when they said we're not going to negotiate, what they really said is we're not going to negotiate until you make an offer and until you can get that offer through the House of Representatives. And I think there was a real belief that there was no way that McCarthy was going to be able to do that. His caucus was too small. It was too fractured. Uh, they were they would never reach consensus. And in fact, when uh, McCarthy was uh, trying to pass the Limit Save Grow Act, which was this the sort of the the right wing wish list, the ransom note for this negotiation, uh, he said, "Look, if we don't pass this, Biden's going to win." Like he knew that if they couldn't, you know, set up an alternative and get it through the House, that they would have no negotiating position and they would have to agree to a clean debt ceiling increase. Uh, so so they used that to try to get this through, and they did by the skin of their teeth. They passed it by two votes, and there were two Democrats missing uh, on the day of that vote. So it would have been a tie otherwise, mm-hmm. right? right? So, uh, uh, but once that happened, I don't think the White House had a plan B. They, they didn't have any other thing to do but say, OK, I guess we'll enter into negotiations now. And, and that's that's what ended up happening. Uh, so that was kind of the mistake to, to not plan ahead. I mean, the mistake to not plan ahead has been 12 years in the making. Democrats should have done whatever they could do to get the debt limit off the table ever since 2011 and that disastrous outcome. Yes. Uh, they they neglected this. It, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. As long as the debt limit isn't an issue, we're not going to talk about it. We're not going to think about it. Uh, and that came back to bite them with this agreement. Isn't that crazy? I mean, but further in that interview, and by the way, that was from um, July 28th, 2011. Uh, mm-hmm. And we spoke a few times around that. Um, and at the end, you even said something like, um, you know, th- they need to do something to get rid of the debt ceiling. And, and again, the Democrats just haven't learned, certainly haven't learned enough. So David Dayen today is the executive editor of the American Prospect. You find them at prospect.org. And a couple of weeks ago, I spoke with Ryan Cooper, your colleague, managing editor there, who, along with you, writes this new X-Date newsletter. You guys launched it to keep us posted daily on the progress being made. Um, When we spoke last week, we decided to set this interview for today, thinking that tomorrow, June 1st, was the X-Date. Now, Janet Yellen has since amended it to say, oh, we have until June 5th. Um, Should we be taking this down to the wire? Uh, You know, and, and many would say that this should have been dealt with when the Democrats still had Uh, the control of the House and the Senate, sort of like what Obama didn't do in 2010 when he could have taken care of this. Um, uh, But here we are now and everybody, both sides are angry. Some people say (laughs) that, oh, if you're pissing everybody off, then it must be a good deal. Is this a good deal? Well, I mean, you know, you have to look at it in in real and relative terms. 
right? Um, uh, first of all, I mean, the way Washington works is if you set a deadline, they're going to pass it the day before the deadline. Right. Right? That, that's that's just how it works, right? Um, and, and that's what we're going to get. Uh, in relative terms, uh, uh, considering what was being talked about, considering what is in the Limit, Save, Grow Act, which was the rightward pull sort of in the negotiation, uh, it's it's better than expected. So in relative terms, if you're only thinking relatively, uh, you, you can say that Biden did a good job. In, in actual terms, we're talking about a, a, a real cut adjusted for inflation, a cut to federal spending, uh, particularly hard on the non-defense side. Of course, defense is magic spending. You don't ever get to cut that ever. Nope. Um, but on the non-defense side, uh, uh, significant cuts. Um, uh, you have uh, the change in work requirements that is going to be uh, kind of a logistical nightmare for a lot of older, childless people, uh, people without dependents who are going to struggle to maintain their food benefits. Um, you have uh, the construction of the Mountain Valley Pipeline, which was a throw in for Joe Manchin in this deal, a, yep. a pipeline that is going to uh, engage in uh, enormous amounts of, of greenhouse gas emissions. You have the forced end of the student loan payment pause, uh, which the administration was going to do around this time anyway. But uh, this means that in the event that the Supreme Court strikes down Biden's debt cancellation efforts, uh, that uh, student loan payments are going to resume for millions and millions of people. And uh, the average number of that is about $400 a month. That's just like a new bill uh, that hasn't been in people's budgets for three years. Right. And uh, that's going to be a, 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 a difficult thing for them to manage. So, uh, you know, you put all that together and uh, there are harms in this bill, harms to government capacity, harms to the social safety net. Um, and, uh, it, it's certainly not going to be a positive outcome for, uh, a, a good number of people. I mean, maybe in relative terms, not a lot of people are going to be affected, but for those who are, uh, it, it's, it's going to be severe. And it's the people who can least afford these changes because it's, it's the people who benefit most, as you wrote from government action, the poor and the vulnerable who are going to be hurt. And those who benefited most from a weakened government, the rich and the powerful were going to be aided. The only question was the degree. That's a quote from, from uh, the X date newsletter that you wrote. Um, And this is the Republican game plan. It seems like they, as long as they can um, impose more pain upon (laughs) <laughs> the most needy, the poorest, the, 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 the people hurting the most already in our society. Uh, that's, that's what they will go to. That's their default. Uh, th- that's yeah, sad. absolutely. Uh, I, I mean, we'll, we'll, let's take it on just, just one aspect of this. Um, there's this issue with work requirements in SNAP, the supplemental, uh, nutrition assistance program. There are actually two work requirements in SNAP. Uh, The second work requirement is the one that's being dealt with that involves uh, able-bodied, what they call able-bodied adults without dependents. Um, So uh, uh, right now, if you're between the ages of 18 and 49, you're childless uh, and and you go out for for food stamp benefits, uh, you have to be working or in a work training program for a certain number of hours a week 
And uh, if you're not, then you can only get food stamps for three months out of a three-year period. Um, that cutoff is at 49 years of age. That's now being extended to 54 years of age. Okay. Um, and uh, the universe of people that that will affect is about a million people. Um, in exchange for that, uh, the Biden administration got uh, veterans, homeless individuals, and uh, uh, people who spent their their childhoods in foster care up to uh, and and if they're between the ages of eighteen and twenty four, uh, they got them exempted from that work requirement for childless adults, which is great. Yeah. But uh, uh, all of these things run into logistical problems. Who is going to get a homeless individual to not only know about the fact that they can sign up for supplemental nutrition assistance, but uh, to get them to a- apply and fill out the forms and supply the documentation, you, you, they still there's still an income test. You know, you still have to be poor, right? right? So you have to show proof that you're not being, you know, you're you might have to show a tax return. You might have to show, you know, <laughs> proof that you're not being paid. How is that going to happen for this universe of people? We have talked to social workers who say these are the hardest people to sign up sure. for these kinds of programs. Uh, even veterans uh, who are who are in this situation where they are poor often don't know uh, what benefits are available to them. And uh, weirdly, the Congressional Budget Office looked at these two things, um, the, uh, the, the change to the age limit, uh, from 49 to 54 and the exemptions for the homeless and, and, uh, and, and veterans and people in foster care and said, oh, the roles are going to expand because on net, we're going to get more people into the program that we're going to take out of it. That is wishful thinking, right? That, that is not going to happen. Uh, uh, there are going to be, uh, the, the fact that just that there are changes to the program and that there are new work requirements, uh, for those older individuals, uh, just the fact that they don't know that the program has changed is going to make it difficult for them to maintain their eligibility. Uh, uh, this is an example of the sort of bloodless thing that Washington does to designate who is deserving and undeserving of food benefits, of, mm-hmm. of the ability to feed themselves. Um, and they they sort of you know, uh, glide over the consequences of that. And, uh, in, in a way that, uh, ends up being really damaging to people who are really desperate. Uh, sadly, yes, that's, that's always the case. Now, uh, David Dan, a number of, um, uh, economists and pundits and a few politicians, mostly, I think, all on the left, have have made no secret of the fact that these that the debt increase, a, a huge portion of it came in the four years that Trump was in the White House and that during those years, there was never any controversy over raising the debt limit. The Democrats did it because they didn't want to threaten to tank the economy and the, the Republicans didn't fight any of the spending or the tax, mostly tax cuts under mm-hmm. under um, mm-hmm. uh, Trump. But now they're screaming bloody murder. And they had this the, the Freedom Caucus had this press conference out in front of the Capitol yesterday. And some of the things they said were just, um, well, head scratchers. Oh, I, Andy Biggs, I, I don't understand him at all, but 
the the words he used to describe this deal were I had no idea that we would see a plan as ephemeral and as malodorous as this plan. <laughs> okay, there are words I could use to describe the the plan, but ephemeral and Melodious is that malodorous malodorous like it smells bad and ephemeral is that that's just lasting a little can do you know why he used those words no I don't but but just going back a bit you make this this very good point about uh, how Democrats and Republicans view the uh, opportunity of the debt limit differently. So uh, under Trump, three times uh, the debt limit was increased. Every one of those times, Democrats, in theory, whether because of their filibuster uh, ability in the Senate or because of their control of the House, Democrats had the ability to dictate terms, to 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 take hostage uh, the debt limit and say, here's what we want you to do about it. They could have even said, we will raise the debt limit if we. Uh, raise it to such a level that we will never have to deal with it again. They could have mm-hmm. easily done that in 2018, in 2019, in 2020. Right. Uh, they chose not to do so. Uh, they 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 gave essentially a clean debt limit increase to the president. Uh, Republicans come in and they say this is our top priority. This this is what we're going to do. We're going to use this to try to get changes that we couldn't otherwise get in law under the regular process. And I'll give you a perfect example of that. The very first bill that Republicans passed in the House once they got control was rescinding the IRS money that was given in the Inflation Reduction Act. Mm -hmm. That was their number one priority. They used it throughout the campaign. They claimed 87,000 IRS agents are going to be rummaging through your trash. They're going to be doing, uh, you know, uh, dragging you, kicking and screaming into uh, the bowels of government. Um, In this negotiation, what they end up getting it's it's a little confusing because if you look at the text on paper, there is only a rescinding of one point four billion dollars of that 80 billion. That sounds pretty good. Right. I mean, right. it's not great that you would lose that, but it's certainly you know, it's it's minimal. Right. However, there is a side deal by which the cuts in domestic spending, those severe cuts are supposed to be mitigated by taking money from that IRS fund and putting it into the domestic uh, uh, discretionary budget. So 20 billion of that 80 billion, a quarter of that money is gonna go away. Now it's gonna be paid out in the out years and the near-term consequences aren't gonna be uh, uh, seen, but there is going to be less money available to the IRS and, and what is that money for? That money is supposed to uh, improve customer service. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year, the IRS actually answered its phone. <laughs> like right. you, you could call right. the IRS and yep. get a human being this year when you couldn't in, in previous years. Right. Uh, and it was also supposed to add audit cap- capabilities so that rich tax sheets would have to pay the money that they're actually owed. Right. Uh, and so... The, the the effect of this, the effect of taking away a quarter of this is just going to make it that much harder to be a functional agency and to actually fulfill its mission, which is getting people to pay what they owe. 
And uh, so Republicans know what they want. Right. We want rich people to be able to to avoid taxes. Right. And they went out and got it. Democrats, I don't know if they know what they want, but they certainly don't use every capability at their power to go and get it. No, they don't. They don't. Now, that said, the Democrats seem, and I read your, uh, again, you can go to prospect.org and read all of the X date um, uh, entries if you're not already subscribing to the newsletter. And you spell it out beautifully. You explain what's in the bill after we got the text. Um, but the, but the, and both sides are bitching, which is what they do. But the Republicans have another tool, I guess. Part of it, we saw it just a couple of months ago. Well, it's more than a couple of months ago now um, in that they can they have a mechanism to get uh, McCarthy out of the speaker's position if they don't like, you know, they can do it. One one member can force. I don't know the the the, the lexicon that they can force a recall, I guess. Um, a motion to vacate. Motion yeah. to vacate. Thank you. Some are threatening the members of the, the Freedom Caucus who were out doing that press conference yesterday. I especially love um, Lauren Boebert. It's fake news. No, Boy, on every level. <laughs> but but it seems that they're not going to do this. Are, are they going to try to remove him from his post? I, I don't think so. I, I don't think we're going to see a motion to vacate ultimately. Um, and, and, you know, I think I think the excessive focus on the Freedom Caucus kind of loses sight of the fact that the, the entire Republican Party uh, has has certain goals that uh, they will try to maximize to get. And they, they you know, we're going to see probably, I mean, the, the vote is probably going to happen by the time we pre-take this, airs, this. But right. by the time you go on, by the time this airs, there's probably going to be the vote. And I would guess that, that uh, Republicans are going to get more than half of their caucus uh, voting for this bill, uh, probably as many as 150 votes uh, for this bill. Um, which, uh, you know, just sort of marginalizes the Freedom Caucus. Uh, interestingly, uh, yesterday, uh, the, you know, the, you, before you put a bill on the House floor, it has to go through the Rules Committee, right. which sets up the schedule for amendments and all this stuff. Uh, Republicans or the Freedom Caucus thought that they had this block on the Rules Committee because they put three of their own members onto the committee. This was one of their big asks in order to make McCarthy speaker, we're going to control effectively the rules committee because we have three members and those three members vote no and Democrats vote no on, on Republican rules, which is usually the case. Then we can block any bill. Mm -hmm. So this guy, Tom Massey, was one of the three. Right. Chip Roy and Ralph Norman are the other two. They're very much against this bill. Tom Massey came out and said, yeah, I'll vote for it. Uh, I, and he voted for the rule yesterday. And that's why they got the rule through. Uh, Massey voted for McCarthy for speaker every time of the 15 times that, uh, the, the, wow. the you know, that, that happened. Uh, he was never going to go against house leadership. The idea that the freedom caucus had a block, even though he's very conservative, uh, uh, the idea that the freedom caucus had a block on, on legislation was just unfounded. It was not reality. And everyone who was talking about, you know, the Freedom Caucus now controls the Republican Party, they don't. They don't in the House. They never did. 
And I was someone who was saying that pretty early out, uh, you know, in January when the when these deals were made that, no, the leadership's still going to have its priorities and prerogatives. And that's what happened. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, I think I think we would all I think the media would would do us all a service by focusing a little less on the you know toxic folks in the Freedom Caucus and a little more on people like Garrett Graves and Patrick McHenry who negotiated this deal. And, and and actually, maybe this was needed to happen to show that the Freedom Caucus doesn't have this all, you know, powerful hand over the speaker. If they're not going to this was what they set it up to have the motion to vacate for and they're not going to use it. This sort of neuters them a bit, doesn't it? Maybe Marge will shut up a, a little bit now. <laughs> well, Marge is on team team McCarthy. Right? I know, I mean, but she's, but she's, she is say she did say this is a shit sandwich, but she's going to vote for it anyway. Well, there you go. So, I mean, there there you have it. It's uh, some some of the hard right has figured out that their position in the institution forces them to make some choices that uh, are are distasteful. And the ones who have decided I'm not going to make those choices and I'm going to be principled and I'm going to, you know, set myself aside from leadership, they're not going to get a lot of their priorities done. So, uh, you know, they're they're learning how how Congress works in real time. Yes, I guess. And this this actually makes Kevin McCarthy a bit more. I don't want to say powerful, but a bit stronger in that, you know, we don't see the puppet strings held so tightly right now. So you mentioned we are we are taping this um, actually Wednesday morning. The show will air in the five o'clock hour Eastern. And by then, the House will likely have voted on it. What happens then? This is the the House full vote on the actual bill, not on the rules. Yeah, they're going to vote on the bill today. Uh, they presumably will pass it today. It looks like there'll probably be 100 Democrats who will vote for this thing. Um, and uh, then it'll go to the Senate. The Senate, uh, this is the kind of bill that passes the Senate with 70, 75 votes. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a foregone conclusion. Uh, there's probably, you know, the Senate, as you know, there are ways to hold up votes uh, for long periods of time, as much as a week. Uh, they'll probably push it to as far as they can get uh, before uh, realizing that their weekend might be ruined and then they'll go ahead and pass it. Right. Right. Um, so uh, uh, that's that's, you know, how this will go. And I, I presume that before that June 5th X date uh, on or before that date, uh, Biden will sign this package and uh, allow us to uh, continue to pay our bills. Now, Biden is also saying that, you know, there was just no time to invoke the 14th Amendment here. That's why we had to get a deal done. But he's not taking it off the table going forward. Is this just more posturing or do you think they're actually going to do something to avoid this happening again? Although this this keeps us in business for two years, but to assure that after the 2024 elections, it doesn't happen again. Will the Democrats do anything about it? Well, they certainly should, but I don't. I don't think Biden's uh, claim that I'll, I'll take a look at this uh, down the road is a serious uh, uh, proposal. I, 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 there actually was a lawsuit that was filed in early May by the National Association of Government Employees, 
which because I mean, it's important to note we've already hit the debt limit Mm -hmm. and Treasury is undergoing what they call extraordinary measures to keep us uh, to conserve cash. And one of the things that they do is they stop reinvesting money in retirement funds that the federal government has set up. And so one of the people harmed by that, because their retirement fund is now not as valuable, is the National Association of Government Employees. So they sued Janet Yellen and Joe Biden in federal court saying the debt limit statute is unconstitutional because it it gives It's interesting. They they pitched it in kind of a conservative way. They say it gives the president too much power. Uh, Basically, if the debt limit is hit, the president has to decide which bills to pay and which bills not to pay. That means he is essentially taking the power to decide which laws to follow and which laws not to follow. That's a line item veto, essentially, which was ruled unconstitutional in the 1990s under Bill Clinton. So. Uh, uh, that is the basis of that lawsuit. And, uh, when Biden and Yellen were served with that lawsuit, they waited about a week and then said, uh, uh, we oppose this lawsuit. If they were, if, if they truly thought they had the authority to, uh, uh, reject this whole debt limit charade and continue to pay the nation's bills, they would have said, you know what, we agree with uh, this lawsuit from the union. And uh, we think that you should file an injunction uh, to, uh, you know, term designate the the debt ceiling statute as unconstitutional, but they didn't do that. They, they waited and waited and waited. And there was supposed to be a hearing today actually on this, uh, this case and because of the deal that was struck over the weekend, the judge postponed that hearing. And there's no que- there's no telling when that that hearing will be picked up again. And, uh, you know, courts usually don't give advisory opinions uh, if uh, you know, you can't sue someone and say, well, if you don't. If Congress doesn't pass an increase in the debt limit, then I'm going to be harmed. And so you have to make that unconstitutional. You know, you have to show some harm. You have to show some standing. And and because we don't have that in place right now, uh, it, it's going to be unlikely, I would say, for uh, the you know to get a court ruling to uh, in terms of constitutionality. So uh, I, I think that we're going to have to wait until a, a time when uh, Democrats are in enough power. Uh, to to you know knock this thing out once and for all. We're the only country on earth mm-hmm. that deals with this. Uh, Denmark has a debt limit, but it's so high that it doesn't ever come into play. We are the only country that is dealing with this nonsense, and uh, it it makes us look completely foolish. It uh, exacts real costs, um, uh, financial costs, sure. uh, costs to our borrowing statu- stature cost to uh, and then the cost of the, the the deal that was eventually struck. Um, so we need to get out of this this cycle. Um, and I don't have a lot of faith or hope that we're going to in the near future. That's sad. And again, the reason I brought up the interview we did a t- dozen years ago is because although the debt ceiling had been a thing, it wasn't weaponized until, if I, if I know correctly, until they weaponized it against Obama. And because Obama didn't resist, because he then came up with this grand bargain and tried to play the game with him, that's why it's happening again and again. Because he, that's right. he let it happen. 
Yeah, that's right. And uh, so this this really does go back to 2011 and the mistake that was made uh, to negotiate with legislative terrorists. And uh, we're seeing the effects of that, you know, a decade later. Wow. Wow. There's so many other broken <laughs> issues that we could talk about. Obviously, this is the big pressing one. And and I appreciate your the newsletter. Um, Prospect.org is where you should be going every day. And you guys just stay on top of the issues that that we need to be dealing with on a daily basis. I know how busy you are. I so appreciate the, your time. I try not to bug you as often as I used to, because I know you got a much bigger job now. Although you used to do everything over when you were doing news at Fire Dog Lake back then. Um, now you've got a huge staff, but, you know, the stakes are higher now, too. So, David Dayan, um, as always, thank you so much for informing us. I, I truly appreciate your work. Great, Nicole. Thank you very much. Thank you. David Dayan. Uh, oh, 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 hold on. I need to I need to get them. Uh, I need to get the audio back. There we go. David Dayan, of course. Um, again, executive editor of the American Prospect. They are at prospect.org. And if you don't already um, go there on a daily basis as you're reading up on news, let me recommend you do. Again, um, it's one of the better news organizations out there today. Um, Seriously, good work. And it's on the honor system. They survive based on reader uh, support but they're not behind a paywall, so they don't stop you from reading if you can't afford it, which I appreciate. And that's how we operate here, too, at the Nicole Sandler Show, in case you were wondering. All right, so I, I don't know if this affects you like it does me. As, you know, the, the people who listen intently know, I've been having a rough time again for the last month or so. I've fallen back into my old depression habits. And so the timing when I was approached for a new sponsor of the show, um, BetterHelp, I thought, well, I could certainly use some BetterHelp right now. BetterHelp is, it's a, it's a therapy counseling service, and it's all done online. Um And we all need somebody to talk to now and then. And it's not that easy to find a good therapist. Uh, Let me tell you, because I've tried. Uh, With BetterHelp, what happens is, excuse me, you go to their website, betterhelp, betterhelp.com slash Nicole Sandler. And please put my name in there because then they'll know that I sent you. And if you sign up for a program, you'll get 10% off your first month and every bit helps. So... You, you fill out a little questionnaire and be honest with it, and they match you with a therapist. Um, if you don't really, if you don't gel with that person, you can go back and, and um, until you find the, the perfect match for you. But let me tell you something, person they matched me with first is great. I've already had a couple of sessions with her and I've got a few more booked. Um, uh, and, you know, it, it's, it's, it, there's, it's a good thing to do for yourself. And now BetterHelp makes it easy. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. Uh, again, it's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Uh, you can find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Nicole Sandler today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash Nicole Sandler. All right, we've got just like a, a minute or two left. And 
You know, I got to tell you, this uh, this time of year, you know, I know our television viewing habits have changed quite a bit, but this time of year, it's when all the shows end. They go on the, you know, for summer hiatus. On the networks, streaming services, you know, they run all year long. But we're seeing a plethora of shows just ending. So I watched the season, the series finale of Succession the other night. Oh, my God. We'll have to talk about it one of these days. I watched the series finale of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel last week. So good. If you've not watched that show, it's on Amazon Prime. It's really, really good. Um, I recommend it very highly, and it ended just beautifully. Uh, what else? Other shows ended, too. Um, a Million Little Things. I really like that show, and it was such a bittersweet ending. Um, and Ted Lasso ends tonight. I know they put they put up the the episode like late Tuesday night. We kept going looking for it. It wasn't up, so we haven't seen it yet. But I'm I I don't want it to end. Although they haven't officially announced that it's completely over. Yeah, since COVID especially, TV has been more important because that's been our entertainment, and all these great shows are ending. So I hope that that more good stuff comes because we need it. So I'll be watching the finale of Ted Lasso tonight. Uh, If you haven't watched Mrs. Maisel or Succession, Succession has to be the best show with not a single character in it who you like. Not one single sympathetic character. And it had just a wild ending. And now... This is ending. Uh, We'll see you tomorrow. Howie Klein will be back. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, Have a great night. And um, I guess maybe they're on a dinner break and they're going to come back and finish the vote tonight. I don't know. But we'll, you know, oh, we'll 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 end the suspense tomorrow. It's going to pass. All right. I'll see you tomorrow, everyone. Thanks. Bye.